Thank you for tuning into American Dispatches once again. As you know, this is the single greatest news entertainment podcast, quite frankly, ever made. The war in Afghanistan, at least this phase, is drawing to a close, and a new battle in D.C. heats up. It's another wild week in 21, so let the rundown begin. First, D.C. House Democrats voted directly along party lines this week, 220 Democrats to Republicans 212, in order to push forward a procedural motion to allow a special committee to write a $3.5 trillion bill, what began as a relatively bipartisan approach for a $1 trillion infrastructure package at the beginning of August. Well, it's itself only included $550 billion, or about half of that money, towards transportation and utilities, things otherwise known as actual infrastructure. Now, that has now morphed into a much larger battle over congressional procedures and a plan being compared to Roosevelt's New Deal of almost 100 years ago. After the $1 trillion bill was passed with the help of some Republican votes, the Democrats, under Nancy Pelosi's guidance, added what they see to be a, quote, complimentary $3.5 trillion spending plan, ironically dubbed the Reconciliation Bill because it doesn't seem to reconcile anything within the walls of Congress, it won't need a single Republican vote to pass. Senator Bernie Sanders, who currently chairs the Senate Budget Committee, had a large hand in drafting the massive government spending proposal. The self-described socialists called the spending effort one of the largest in U.S. history and, quote, the most consequential piece of legislation for working people, the elderly, children, the sick, and the poor since Franklin Delano Roosevelt and the New Deal of the 1930s. But how would this money be spent? Details are somewhat scant. We know that some funds will be used on plans that enjoy bipartisan support, such as expanding pre-K programs for three- and four-year-olds. The bulk of the initiative, however, appears to be directed at issues only popular among the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. Indeed, the only thing potentially holding up this bill's passage is actually centrist Democrats that largely see it as a government overreach and poor use of federal funds. One example of this is the $107 billion already earmarked towards the Congressional Judicial Committee to help expedite, quote, lawful status for many illegal immigrants. Whatever happens on Capitol Hill this week may have a larger impact on your pocketbook than anything we have seen in a generation. Members in Congress on both sides of the aisle know that the stakes are high. It is for this reason that Pelosi may have sped up the vote as much of the evening news and American attention is rightfully directed at Afghanistan right now. They may be using the opportunity to push this through without American citizens asking their representatives important questions like, I don't know, hey, what's in it? That leads us to Afghanistan, where it's been unfortunately another tragic week that saw over 169 people killed in two bombings that claimed the lives of 13 Americans. It also reportedly killed Taliban guards as well. After the blast, caused by an ISIS affiliate, getting to the airport became even more difficult. The Taliban increased their presence on the perimeter and began restricting civilian movements even more so. On a related note, many journalists, particularly those based in the Middle East, are beginning to report that ISIS is even more radical or extreme than the Taliban. I've been reading a lot of that lately, and that justification is quite frankly lazy reporting at best. It vastly underscores the brutality of the Taliban regime. Just because they weren't responsible for this one blast doesn't mean they aren't necessarily the lesser of two evils. That is a narrative that, if it takes root, may help Western leaders sleep at night, but simply not the truth. 
We are leaving the people of Afghanistan to the fate of a group that is just as barbarous and ruthless as ISIS. And that point needs to be remembered. The pace of evacuation flights have already slowed as Western countries prepare for what's next. British Ambassador to Afghanistan, Laurie Bristow, who he himself has become a well-known figure among the chaos and who chose to remain on the ground at the airport, recently tweeted that it's time to close this phase of the operation now. On one positive note this week, over four babies have been born on evacuation flights out of Kabul. The parents of one of them have named their daughter after the call sign of the U.S. military aircraft they were on. The girl has been named Reach after the C-17's call sign or Reach 28, the plane that took her to safety. Aside from obvious internal conflicts between the Taliban and ISIS, as well as the potential civil war looming between the Taliban and the Northern Alliance, the country will face several immediate financial and logistical issues. For starters, Afghanistan will face a brain drain, as the majority of those being evacuated are civil servants, members of academia, and government officials. This is a problem even the Taliban acknowledges, as they have reportedly asked Afghans in such positions to stay. With the withdrawal of an International organizations and dozens of NGOs, they will lose tens of thousands of experts on everything from public policy to sewer maintenance. Then there's the financial side of things. The local economy was a major issue long before the Taliban took Kabul and is very doubtful that this will improve under their leadership. China has pledged support for the group and may begin infusing funds to help prop them up monetarily. The militants have one major card to play here as Afghanistan is a mineral-rich country that does sit strategically along some of the old spice routes of the Silk Road. The combination of resources and geography has made Afghanistan a formal member of the Beijing Belts and Roads Initiative, or BRI. That said, continued instability will most likely hamper investment and could stop it altogether. The Afghan government's central bank did have over $9 billion, most of which is being held by the New York Federal Reserve. They were also supposed to be transferred $450 million from the IMF. Suffice it to say, the Taliban will be receiving none of those funds. Without some type of external cash infusion, it is highly likely that the local currency will collapse entirely. This may create an even larger layer of chaos for the militants who, let's face it, are not really exactly known for their financial savvy. In order for them to maintain their narrative of being able to provide stability, they will need to do something to keep the country's meager economic programs in place. Needless to say, whatever happens on or after Biden's August 31st deadline, Afghanistan will not be out of the news, nor will it be out of American hearts anytime soon. And that's all we have for today, folks. As always, the world is an exciting, badass place. Stay informed. You can do so by tuning in here on Apple or the Google Play Store. Until next time, Vau con Dios, America.